Good evening. It is good to see each of you. You're visiting with us. Uh, you're our honored guest. It is good to have you tonight. If you would, be open your Bibles to Acts, the first chapter. That's 965, page 965 on the Bibles that's in the pews. And we will study God's Word together in just a few moments as we continue our fall focus this evening. Uh, what a wonderful weekend God has blessed us with. You see the many pink and gray shirts, and that tells us that our, our teens are home from their teen retreat, and I hear and understand that they had a tremendous retreat. We appreciate each one that went and was a part of that, the encouragement that you are to each other, and to us to know that you're spiritually minded and that you love the Lord, and to each adult that went, and we appreciate Phil and the great leadership that he provides in that. Appreciate each one that helped with the work day Saturday and the good that is done there. Uh, the only way that things get accomplished in the work of the Lord is for God's people to work. And what a wonderful thing it is for, to be in a congregation where folks are willing to do that. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful evening, Saturday evening, as a lot of attention was given to some of our most important uh, members of our family, our church family, and that's our little ones, as so many came out and poured your love out to them. And uh, a wonderful way to reach out to uh, visitors and to let them know that we love children, that we love them, and that we would love uh, to show them the love of Christ. Also, I want to give you just a couple reminders. I know I spent quite a bit of time on this morning. I won't do that again, but I, there's a couple of things I just need to mention that I failed to mention this morning about Fireproof because it is starting tomorrow. It's exciting to think that so many couples are involved in that. It is for couples and individuals. It's not too late to sign up. The sign-ups are out in the foyer. There will be a sheet in the foyer that is just a white piece of paper. It has several names on it. If you have not completed one of these and confirmed, what we've done is put down what your options were and we Put that down on paper, waiting for you to confirm that, yes, that is good. We're going to be there that night, etc. If you've not confirmed that, that'll just help us make more concrete plans. And, and so uh, if you forget and leave here tonight without confirmation, it'll be all right. But it just helps us plan better. Uh, confirm that by circling your name and then leave it in the box that's there. Also, uh, please keep in mind and give the reminder, a lot of our teens were away this morning. Uh, we will need a lot of help with babysitting. Uh, there's already been a great sign-up that's taken place. Appreciate each one of you that have signed up, but we will need a total of 60 slots filled. Several are signed up, but there are still some openings Monday night and Tuesday night of this week. If any of you teens, any of you adults can help with that, uh, please remember. I know sometimes people say, I meant to do that, and I just forgot to sign up after, after worship. Please remind each other. Uh, let's get those filled. We need probably, I think it's two or three each night that are still open. Be sure and do that. If that's something that you can do, just remember to do that uh, for the sign up. And that would be a tremendous, tremendous help. It's exciting to think of all the ways that God gives us uh, to, to encourage each other, to serve each other, to be a part of a community that we can be the light uh, for the Lord, uh, we can receive His love and reflect that to the community. And, and let's just do our best at it. And let's take as many folks to heaven with us as we can. Fall Focus has been wonderful. And if you've been in Sunday morning Bible classes the last few weeks, you know that a part of the Fall Focus right now is concentrating on sharing the ancient words by setting down with an individual. How would you do that one-on-one -on -one if you had three, four, or five settings to set down with that same individual. You know, if you only have one setting to set down with someone and teach them the gospel, you have to take a little bit different approach. But if you have three or four or five settings, then that is the much preferred approach. 
as we think about what is being covered right now in that study, and that is the church, I'd like for us to think about some of the things as we think about being wholly converted, the idea of completely converted. You see, it's impossible for us to be wholly converted to Christ if we're not converted to His body, the church. And so as we think about, well, really, what role, what place does the church play in the lives of religious people? Well, instead of us just jumping right into the middle of that, let's back up for a moment and say, well, what role did it play in the life of Jesus Christ? In other words, if it's important to Christ, it ought to be important to us. And so as we think about this, I want to drop back to something we did for a few weeks at the beginning of this series. A lot of you commented about how you appreciated that, that mental approach to it. And uh, I know it serves me well as I've studied through this. And so let's, let's do this again. Let's start in Acts the first chapter and let's be reminded. I'm just going to say enough to remind you of maybe what you remember from several weeks ago in this study. When we think about Luke the author of Acts said in Acts, the first chapter in verse one, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, note that word, all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, remember what we did with this a few weeks ago? We broke down and said, okay, what was the former treaty they wrote? What was the book of Luke? What's the book of Luke? It's the book about the life of Jesus Christ. We see his birth. We see his growing up. We see him becoming an adult. We see his earthly ministry. We see him being crucified. We see him being resurrected. Now get this. We even in the last four verses of the book of Luke see him ascended into heaven. Now go back again and look at verse 1 again. What was that former treaty? That former treaty was all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Wait a minute. Luke, you must have made a mistake because I think what you meant to say was you just told everything Jesus said and did because he came to this earth, he did it, and he ascended into heaven in that former treaty. No, you see, verse 1 begins with just a little bit of a twist, if you will, that is so powerful for all of us that claim to be children of God and brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, Luke is telling us his work had just begun. Okay, so the book of Acts then. What's this second treaty? This second treaty that Luke's going to write is about the continual work of Jesus Christ. Now I know many times we refer to the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. It is but we would probably have maybe a little bit greater understanding and appreciation if we remind ourselves what Luke reminds us of. This is just the continual work of Jesus. Well, what is the continual work of Jesus? When you go to Acts the second chapter, what begins in Acts the second chapter? We have the establishment of the church. They were told in Acts 1 along about verse 4 to wait there in Jerusalem. And what they were waiting was for the Holy Spirit to come to them in a miraculous fashion. And it did in Acts the second chapter. And we see the beginning of the church. Now here's a question. Was the beginning of the church a work of Jesus? Or was it a work of the apostles? Because keep in mind, Jesus has already ascended 50 days prior to this. Jesus has ascended into heaven. So which was it? Well, the apostles definitely were used as instruments. But the beginning of the church was a work of Jesus. You might want to hold your finger here, but go over to Matthew, the 16th chapter. 
In Matthew, the 16th chapter, we find out what the church is. It's said in prophetic sense here, but in Matthew, the 16th chapter, this is where Jesus was asking, who do men say that I am? And they gave the answer of several prophets. And then he said, but who do you say? And this is in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in 16 and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, the rock he's talking about there is that confession that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will. Who? Jesus. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice how the church and the kingdom is used interchangeably here. He continues speaking to Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Do you see what's taking place here? He's prophesying the fact of, hey, I have something that I'm going to accomplish. And I love the way the two themes are joined here. The two themes are, do you know who I am? Yes, we know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you know what I've come to this earth and what I'm going to accomplish? Tell us. I have come and I am going to build my church. By the way, Peter, I'm going to need your assistance in this. You and the apostles are going to give people the keys. Keys give entrance to. You're going to give people the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So we come back to the book of Acts. What is Acts, the second chapter about? Acts is the second chapter is how the Lord is building his church. It's the day the Lord established his church. He gave the keys to Peter and to the apostles and they preached and people were convicted of their sin. What did he preach about? He preached about Jesus. They were convicted of their sin and they were told what they needed to do to be saved. And once they were baptized into Christ, they were added to them. That's in Acts, the second chapter, verse 41. And we say, well, who would the them be? And then in 47, we have praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is interesting. It ought to be powerful by application to you and I in our daily life and it ought to be of the utmost importance when we talk about the Lord and when we study about the Lord with individuals. And that is this. The continual work of the church. Let me rephrase that. The continual work of Jesus Christ has always been about do you know who I am? I'm Jesus, the Son of God. And do you know what I've come to this earth to do? To establish a church. I'd like for you to see this two other places. If you will, go with me to Acts the 8th chapter. I just wanted to see how that's the twin themes that run through the book of Acts. Acts the 8th chapter. You remember this is where Philip goes into Samaria and he begins to preach in verse 5. Acts the 8th chapter, verse 5. It'd be about page 972 on your pew Bible. In verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. Now, notice, if you will, as we read verse 12, what the result of preaching Christ but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me that you preach two things that cause people to be baptized. He says, absolutely. I preach to people about the kingdom of Christ. That's usually, not every time in the scriptures, but usually that is interchangeable with the church. 
He says, I preached to them about the kingdom of Christ and I preached to them about Christ and the result was that people in Samaria wanted to be baptized. Okay, let's sum up the book of Acts. Isn't it interesting to always look and see how a book ends? Remember the first half of the book of Acts, almost, not that's not a clean break, but kind of the first half of the book of Acts, the emphasis is upon Peter and the work that he did. The last half of the book of Acts is the emphasis on Paul and the work that he did. Let's go to Acts 28 and let's see how this book closes out. And remember, by this time, this is where Paul... Is taken to Rome. He's placed under house arrest and individuals are allowed to come to him. Now, you know, when individuals came to Paul, he used that as an opportunity to preach and teach. So let's see what he preached and what he taught to them. We're in the 31st verse, his very last verse of the book of Acts. You see in 30, it's referred to the fact of him being under the house arrest there in the house that he uh, rented. And 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Paul, what did you preach? Well, I preached what we have to preach. I preached about Christ and his continual work. Friends, the church is the continual work of Jesus. And if we're going to preach Christ, we have to preach about that continual work of the church. Now, why is this so important? On this next slide, we see two of what can be many things that individuals say that when you start talking about the church, oftentimes we hear people say, listen, I do have a relationship with God and, and, and I love Jesus Christ, but what I don't want is I don't want religion. Don't, don't talk to me about the church. And several times I've had individuals and, and not about... Um, the Lord's church, just about religion in general, several times I've had individuals tell me, look, I've been hurt deeply by churches. And I found out that, that I can have a much safer life if I just serve Christ on my own. Now, there's a lot of reasons that breaks our heart. Number one, we know that the church is the body of Christ. We can't be wholly converted to just the head. We Love Christ, we accept Him, the head and the body. Now there's a second reason that that's disturbing and surely we all have already thought of that. I want to ask you a question. And this is one we won't develop right now, but I promise you it's worth filing away and think about it on your way to work tomorrow. Where should it be found? The safest place on earth. If you said, you know, there's a group of people there that I've never felt so safe around those people. They don't hurt me. They love me. They support me. Why? We're like a loving family. We serve each other. We correct each other in love. Where should that be? We all know the answer to that. Christ's body ought to be the safest place on earth. It's designed to be that, and when it's not, it's because of our wrongs, not because of Christ's flaw in the design. But just think about that this week. We can, we can do all kinds of doctrinal studies on the church that we ought to be doing. They're so important. But what good does it do for us to study these things if we don't become these things? And it does break my heart when I hear people say, oh, I've tried the church and, and I've been hurt too many times. But anyway, we can't, 
make excuses for people and we can't justify them when their excuses do not carry merit to make decisions. Friends, we have to choose Christ and it doesn't matter what the suffering is that we have to endure to choose Christ. And so we've got to be wholly committed to Christ. Now, a second thing that, that folks will oftentimes say is they'll say, oh, you want to talk about the church? Listen, listen, one church is as good as another. Hey, you, you have a faith, I have a faith, we're all headed in the same direction. Look, let's not, let's not get into any kind of technicalities about our faith because that just usually kind of runs in circles. I'd rather not talk about that. Now, as we think about that, I just want to mention just a couple of things here, and that is oftentimes in conversation, we have these kinds of dialogue. If we are ever going to make progress, what we must do is we must move this dialogue into a study. I've never seen, never heard of anybody being converted to Christ based through conversations. There has to be a time where that conversation says, okay, let's study it. And Bibles are open and the Word of God is taught. It's wonderful to have open dialogue. It's wonderful to keep spiritual communication alive. But just keep in mind, we're not going to, to really help people long term until we can channel that into a study. And again, if, if you don't feel like you're the one capable to do that, go ahead and set up the study and we can always find individuals that's willing any day or night uh, to, to sit down and study the Word of God with an individual. Now, there's a second thing that I want to point out, and this is kind of a direction that we'll go with the rest of this lesson tonight. And that is this. As we think about the opportunities to sit down, let's say that somebody has some very specific questions about the church. We make a tremendous mistake whenever we dive immediately into that topic without any previous study with that individual. Uh, Brother Jerry Jenkins is a man that uh, I've looked up to him for several years now uh, for many reasons, but one of the things that I value, what uh, he believes and knows and understands, and that's in the area of one-on-one -on -one Bible studies with individuals. He's done more of that than any man that I know personally alive today. And so one of the things that he just, he just, he emphasizes it so strongly that if you talk with him about one-on-one -on -one studies, you will walk away knowing that he is passionate, he feels strongly about this because when we don't heed this warning, usually the study goes nowhere. That is the number one mistake that individuals oftentimes make in one-on-one -on -one Bible studies is answering premature questions. There is no reason for us to start answering questions that that person could not possibly understand because of their lack of previous knowledge. We would not think of sending a, a, a 10th or 11th grader into a calculus class without other classes of prerequisite, including things like pre-algebra, algebra, algebra two, uh, trigonometry, uh, geometry, and, and things of that nature. We would do all of those things because we would say, look, it doesn't matter how hard you study at, at calculus unless you know these things, you simply can't succeed in that. Friends, that is so true in a study of the church. As we think about these prerequisites, I want to, to just run some by you as, as words of advice, but then also let you see scripture that is so keen in this teaching that we, we need to be keenly aware of in this. Number one, 
until we take the time. And this is why it's so good when somebody does say, I'd like to sit down and study. The very first thing you want to do is to get a commitment of several weeks. And so they say, you know, I think I would like to sit down and study the Bible. Great. I tell you what, why don't we get together once a week for about an hour each week. You choose an evening or, or a day that's good for you and we'll get together that hour and we'll do it for four or five weeks and we'll just lay a foundation of study and then some things that you and I have been talking about, we'll also talk about those in the study. But at first, we'll just lay some foundational things down. Usually folks will say, great. And you just immediately set up what evening it is, what time it is, what day it is. Uh, and, and, and then in that, what you want to do is immediately we must establish the authority for God. Now, please understand that there are many people, many people all around us right now. I hope it wouldn't be true, but it could be true that there's even some here that they will casually tell you, oh, I believe in God and, and I believe in His authority. I, I believe if God says something, you ought to do it. Now, if that's all that we do with that question, I can almost assure you what's going to happen. Later on, when it comes to God saying one thing and them believing another thing, they're going to say, nine out of ten times, they are going to say, oh, I, you know, I, I see what it says there, but I don't think God would really mind if we did that another way. Well, what would change that? Remember Hebrews 4 and 12? The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. As you've seen in the outlines that you've been studying on Sunday morning, there is a very, very good reason that those outlines are showing the importance of things like this, of laying this foundation where we go over, and it doesn't have to be these three, but three that, that I like to go over with individuals is I like to study about Adam and Eve and just let that person digest how God punished them, how they were driven out of their home, after they decided to sin against God. I'd like to go over Numbers, the 20th chapter, and, and show how Moses, the great Moses, when God told him to speak to that rock, but instead he struck the rock, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Study about the priests, Nadab and Abihu, and here are these priests, the religious leaders. They didn't say they wouldn't offer the sacrifice, the incense. They simply said, we'll do it our way. They offered the fire that they wanted instead of the fire that God wanted. And God, in that occasion, literally struck them dead. Now, as you study through those things, because the Word of God is alive and powerful, what's going to form, if that person has an honest heart, is that's going to form a conviction within them that says, you know, it really does matter if God has spoken on a particular topic. That is so important. Now, another thing that we'll want to establish is the inspiration of the Scripture. Is this just a good book? No, this is a lot more than just a good book. This is a book that is from God. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. Those are wonderful passages and there are others. And then also we want to establish the completeness. In other words, the finality of the Scriptures. Is this 100% total, final, complete truth? Or is there more that can be given later? Maybe you have some truth that's not in the Bible. Maybe some religious leader on the other side of the globe has some truth that's not in the Bible. We, we have to establish that. 
Is all the truth here? And when we study in John 14 and 26 and 16 and 13 how Jesus promised the apostles that the Holy Spirit would be sent to them and he would guide them into all truth and bring all things to their remembrance. That word all is so important because we do have all truth. As we consider the second, the second prerequisite that I'd mentioned to you, and we, we've got to wrap this up uh, quickly here. Let me just throw these out. You've got to understand the difference in the two covenants. If an individual doesn't understand the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant, there is no possible way they will ever understand the church. I don't think I can say exception to that. I don't know how there could be an exception to that. I'd be glad to see one one day, but I'm simply saying that if we do not understand the difference in the Old and the New Testament, we could not understand the church. Uh, for time's sake, just let me show you the outline that you have in your booklets that, that, is, uh, that you're studying out of Sunday morning. When you look between Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the law, and then that's what the prophets uh, preached until the coming of Jesus Christ, we usually refer to that as the law given to Moses. Now, when people understand that that law produced a religion and that religion was Judaism, that then becomes very clear that when you look at the next point on the timeline, and that be, being the cross, and that's where the old law ended and the new law began, then we say 50 days after that, the beginning of the church, what's that religion? Christianity. You know what's interesting? I've been blessed to see what I'm about to tell you several times. I don't mean one time. After we've taken the time to study this, several times I've had people when, they, when we finally, after these lessons, come to a study of the church, I've had people to say, oh, but now, you know that there were instruments in the church. And they'll start flipping back to Psalm and then they'll go, oh, Oh, yeah, we studied about that. That was under Judaism. Yeah. Okay, all right, I got it. Let's move on. Isn't that awesome? When people can take the Word of God and they can answer their own questions. I try my best to answer as few questions as possible. It doesn't matter what I believe. What I believe won't save you because I believe it. It doesn't matter what you believe. What you believe won't save you because you believe it. The standard, the standard is the Word of God. As we mentioned a couple just by outline, the very next one, uh, we must know that the covenants cannot be blended. In other words, you can't pull a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament. Uh, that would be similar to spiritual adultery. It, he compares it to adultery in Romans the 7th chapter 1 through 4. And we go to the next slide. Uh, we also see that we must know enough to know how to reason and persuade. Acts, the 19th chapter, when Paul went into Ephesus, he went into the synagogues and he reasoned and persuaded individuals on a daily basis about things concerning the kingdom of heaven. As we conclude this lesson, I just want to ask you this. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm fired up about Jesus. I love Jesus. He died on the cross for me. Are you fired up about the continual work of Jesus? Jesus was... Jesus was very fired up about it. Well, what is the continual work? Do we have the passion that Paul had where he said, I'll go in a place on a daily basis and I will reason and persuade. I can sell people on this. I believe in it. It's something that everybody ought to have. What should everybody have? They should have a relationship with Christ and with his family. 
the church. Everybody ought to have that. Friends, do you have that? If you've never been baptized into Christ for their mission of sins, think about that phrase. It's scriptural. Baptized into Christ. That's how we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, won't you do that? But realize when you're doing that, you're committing your life to Christ and His body, the continual work of the Lord. If you strayed and need to come back and confess sin, if we can help you in any way, if it's right now or, or if later you have questions and you'd like to study this, we'd love to study the Word of God together. We simply want to live for our Lord and help as many people around us do the very same thing. If we can help you in any way,